Thank you so much. That was a blessing. Acts chapter 6 is where we are tonight in our continual uh, working through this book. Uh, Acts has been a blessing so far, for me anyway, in studying it. I'm just grateful for the Word of God, aren't you? Uh, what a, how lost we would be without the Word of God to guide and direct our paths. It uh, lets us know why we're here. It lets us know how uh, we got here. Heard about a child that went to uh, his dad and he asked the question, Dad, where did people come from? And so the dad explained to him, God created Adam and created Eve and, and then they had children and those children had children and those children had children all the way down to where we are today and, and uh, so we're all connected that way. A little while later he asked his mother, Mom, where did people come from? And she says, well, uh, we were all just amoeba. One day, and uh, things evolved, and soon uh, we became monkeys, and uh, we were apes, and then that was uh, finally uh, evolved into what we are today. He came back to his dad a little bit later, and the boy said, Dad, you lied to me about where we came from. Dad says, no. He says, Mom was telling you about her side of the family. I was telling you about my side of the family. So uh, <laughs> grateful for the word of God giving us the truth. Now, we saw last week the choosing of the deacons in uh, Acts chapter 6, and the, the apostles had uh, to have some help in doing the work of God. A, a healthy local church, by the way, will always have many hands to make it so. Uh, it takes a lot of people to, uh, to do the work of the church, and these seven men have been chosen. One man tonight is showcased for us out of that group, and uh, we'll talk about him and the message that he preached. In chapter 7, we see the message he preaches to the religious leaders, and that's the message I want to look at tonight. Now, as a pastor, I'm always especially interested in biblical sermons. I, I think it's fascinating to see uh, what they... And boy, you get into this message. This was a superb message that, that uh, Stephen preached. Stephen will use the Word of God to drive the truth of the gospel home, and he uses scriptures that they know to show themselves themselves. And this is an amazing thing how he does it. So I'm going to look at, we're going to start in chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and then as we work through the message, we'll just read the verses as we go through. But start with me in verse number 8 in Stephen. This is Acts 6, 8. Full of faith and power did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of them... Of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. That's a great verse, by the way. There's two things listed there. I'm not going to go off on this tangent, but I think we could preach a whole message out of that. The wisdom and the spirit. We as Baptists often have the wisdom, not the spirit. Uh, we need both. Some people have the spirit and not the wisdom. Holstein. <clears throat> You know, people like that. Uh, people that don't teach and preach the truth. And so we want to have both, the wisdom and the truth. Anyway, uh, that was uh, for free. So we move on here, verse 11. Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, and the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and <coughs> set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. Oh, boy, they couldn't have their law spoken about. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Religious people are always all wrapped up in that one little word right there, customs. They love that. All right, verse 15. <clears throat> and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Father, I pray tonight help us as we look at the message of Stephen. May we learn some things from it that will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love about this passage is that Stephen was a layman. We're not talking here about a king. We're not talking about a prophet. We're not talking about a pastor. We're talking about a layman. Just a, just a faithful man of God who served and loved the Lord and did everything he could to promote the gospel. He was simply a man sold out to God and willing to be used. Don't think for a second, friend, that you need a title of some kind to do great things for God. Stephen didn't. He just got busy and served the Lord. Uh, I'm thinking tonight of a young man named Dwight. Uh, he did not attend school beyond the fifth grade. His grammar was awful. His manners were so bad that once he uh, made an, a salesman so angry that he chased him with a knife and tried to kill him. Dwight moved to Boston as a teenager. He felt all alone in the big city. Uh, he was desperate for work, and his uncle took him under his wing and in, uh, uh, kind of uh, gave him a job in his shoe store and uh, only put one condition on it, that he would be obedient and that he would attend church. I guess that's two conditions, but that he would attend church. In the church, a man took Dwight under his wing there, uh, tried to teach him the Word of God and tried to encourage him and prayed for him and encouraged him to be faithful and read his Bible. Dwight decided in his own heart, I'm just going to kind of enjoy the pleasures of sin while I'm young, and then just before I die, I'm going to get saved. That's a plan, isn't it? Well, uh, April 21st, 1855, this man from church, just a layman, Edward Kimball was his name, came to the store where Dwight worked, told him he had been praying for him, showed him the love of Christ, let him know how much he cared for him, again gave him the gospel, and that day Dwight L. Moody gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Uh, he was used by God to lead thousands upon thousands of people to Christ. And he preached in, in uh, different continents to thousands and thousands of people made a great impact, and his impact is still being realized today, and it all started because of a layman who was faithful, found faithful, went out and put, uh, just, put, just tried to win someone. Now, everyone you win and everyone you uh, mentor might not be a Dwight L. Moody, but then they, again, they might be. Just be faithful and just get involved. So this is, that's a blessing. I like the fact <coughs> that this is a layman. So looking at Stephen the man, the, he, in verse 8 says that he, he performed wonders and miracles. We have Stephen here. He's going to be martyred soon. Uh, up to now, the focus has been on the apostles. And now one of these uh, newly appointed deacons here, he, he's front and foremost in the story. This, by the way, had to further infuriate the radicals in the Sanhedrin because now you didn't only have a bunch of country bumpkin apostles, but one of their followers is having as much of an impact on people more than what they can have. And so it just angered them every time they saw this, as we've seen throughout the book of Acts. Look at the words that he proclaimed, verses 9 and 10. Uh, they, they, uh, they were angry because of the things that he was saying. Now, synagogue worship had its roots in the Babylonian exile. 
uh, the Jews would gather in synagogues and hear the scriptures and hear them explain, kind of a little bit maybe like we have church in a different way, but uh, they became common gathering places for the Jews, which was especially important for those that were away from their homeland. So any sizable town with a Jewish population had a synagogue. This synagogue here of the Libertines that uh, spoken about here seems to have existed for Jews that uh, came from the various parts of the dispersion. And so here they engaged with Stephen, arguing over the Messiahship of Jesus, basically the gospel. Stephen was so spirit-filled, he was so well-versed in the scriptures, that they could not intimidate him. That's a lesson in us, uh, for us in that. Knowing this book will give you confidence, will give you the ability to uh, do great things for God. It is, after all, his word that, was not, that does not return void. I can promise you, I've said things that were just brilliant. And they didn't do a thing, you know. I've also said things that aren't so brilliant. And those, are thankfully, are forgotten too. But God's word never returns void. Learn his word. And so, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is how his effectiveness and our effectiveness comes. It's directly related to the knowledge of the word of God. So, what will they do? They can't talk to him about the Scriptures because he's, he's whipping them in the Scriptures. He's talk, telling them all these things. So they do exactly what we still see wicked people today do when they're unable to win with ideology, they resort to violence. Have you seen that this day and age? When they can't win with their message, they start to get violent. The Bible says in verse 11, Then they suborned men and said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Suborned literally means to bribe. So they paid men to come up and give this testimony. They paid accusers uh, that claimed Stephen ba uh, blasphemed against Moses. This would be because he spoke about the Mosaic law. He blasphemed against God, uh, probably because of his support of Jesus Christ. And so when what Stephen and the apostles were teaching, as we've seen up to this point, is a threat to the whole religious system that these guys have going on here. And they couldn't stand for it. So when their power was threatened, they responded viciously. Verse 12 and 13, they stirred up the people. They set up false witnesses. Uh, they uh, accused him of blasphemous words here. It was, by the way, does this sound familiar? Is they're doing this? It's just what they did to Jesus. Uh, they, they rejected the Son of God. Now they're rejecting the Spirit of God. How? with made-up charges, with the false witnesses, with a mob. Uh, Stephen was arrested. The high priest and company would squash him at, uh, or try to squash him in his teaching. Exactly what they did to Jesus Christ. In fact, they bring him up in verse 14. For we have heard him say, now you have to read this verse, and if you read it, you can almost hear the tone that they probably spit out that word Jesus of Nazareth. How they hated that name. True, Jesus had foretold the destruction of the temple. By the way, it happened just as he said it would. Uh, it, Stephen did not only believe it as the word of God, but he knew it had to happen. The Old Testament Levitical system was over. Uh, a new age is upon them. The finished work of Christ on Calvary changed everything. The local church would now be the focus of God's work on earth. So here they are in verse 15. <laughs> just... I tried to picture this as I'm preparing this message. Just, I mean, what does this do to a meeting, brother? Can you imagine they're, they're interrogating, they're coming down, and then all of a sudden he's glowing? <laughs> or 
some, something like that. It has a face of an angel. Uh, it's amazing. It didn't stop him, though. Boy, when people are blinded, when, they, when they're filled with hatred or they're filled with uh, sinful desires, they'll just bear, like uh, Balaam all the way back in the Bible. His donkey saw what he couldn't see because his eyes were filled with worldly things, so he couldn't see anything spiritual. Well, here they couldn't either. Uh, but let's uh, keep on going here. The, the charges are read. They turn to the prisoner. They saw the face of an angel. Rather than hate, they saw heaven. I have to wonder, because all these scenes that we're seeing here, I believe, doesn't say so specifically until the next chapter he was present, I believe Saul was present here. He was, he was uh, kind of overseeing. They laid their coats at his feet when they stoned Stephen in the next chapter. I believe Saul's a part of this trial that they're having. What was in Saul's heart? Who would become Paul, you know? What was in his heart when he saw that? Remember when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road? One of the things Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. This means that Saul had conviction before that point. This means that up, and I don't know how long, and, and I don't know how difficult it was for him, but I, I, I just personally believe that, that Saul, this was a part of Saul's conviction, seeing Stephen with the face of an angel. Now, we move on to chapter 7 as we get into the message tonight. won't have uh, too long to get into this, but I just want to touch on a few things in Stephen's message. Uh, Israel had a big problem in that they clung to traditions. Verses 1 through 3, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon and said to him, Get, out of thy, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Stephen was not concerned here with an acquittal, I don't believe. He's not directly defending himself. He knows the people that he faces. The crowd does not care one whit for his defense because they paid people to say things to accuse him. So they're not concerned or, or worried about Stephen defending himself because they're not going to believe it anyway. So his goal now is to present the truth. Stephen would systematically show them their history of a rejection of saviors that, Jesus, that, that God brought into their lives. We're going to see, hopefully we'll get through the first two tonight. Uh, but he sets the whole table with Abraham because that's where the life of faith began for the Jews. Now this is ingenious because the revelation of God to Abram was independent of Moses or the temple. Remember their they're, they're focusing on Moses and the temple, but Stephen begins with Abram, and there's a reason for this. He wants to show them that God, independent of a temple and independent of Moses, can reveal himself to whomever and however and whenever he pleases to, uh, to do so. His point with Abram was rather than being tied to tradition, we ought to be willing to move when God tells us to move. Uh, Abram was, was, was uh, an older man at this point, and he was uh, pulled away from his home and country. Now, verse number 5. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when, he was yet, when as yet he had no child. This undermined the notion that the temple was a permanent institution. Abraham's response to God is purely spiritual. He had the promise, but he did not have the place. God wanted Abraham's faith to be in him alone. God still wants our faith to be in him alone, not in a place, not tied to traditions. And uh, Stephen is making this clear. For the next few verses, he talks about what would happen to the Israelites. 
They'd be in bondage for 400 years. One of the things that Stephen makes clear is how in the beginning they were simply led by God. They were, that, that's what happened for centuries, for generations. They had no law officially at that point. They had no temple. Now, yes, the law it was foundational uh, for behavior, but ultimately the law is a tool to bring us to Christ. That's the purpose of the law. Paul said in Romans 7, 7, I had not known sin, but by the law. Remember when you were a, well, you, don't, you probably don't remember, but when you were a small child, that's how you learned things were wrong, when you got in trouble for them. You, you uh, got your, your spankings, and uh, you got your punishments, and we learn because of the law, we find out the things that are wrong. The law is a light that reveals how dirty a room is. The law is not the broom that cleans it. You see the difference in that. So the law is a revealer. It's a schoolmaster, the Bible says. The temple was functional uh, for assembling and propagating the faith. But the law and the temple were not essential. And we see that in the beginning with the patriarchs. They didn't have them. You could say that Christianity was returning to the original. It could forego rules and rituals because we have the reality in Christ. So this is what Stephen is preaching here. Now... Let's get to the Savior. So we see how Israel clung to their traditions, and now he starts to talk about their saviors. He starts with Joseph. Now he gets a little personal. He says in verse 9, And the patriarchs, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. Stephen shows them how the Jewish people resisted God long before these jokers ever arrived on the scene. Joseph was a type, we know, in the Old Testament of Christ, and guess what? The patriarchs rejected him too. They sold him. Uh, just like the Sanhedrin had rejected Jesus. And for the same reason, envy. They, verse 9, moved with envy, sold Joseph to Egypt. Pilate knew in Matthew 27, 18, that for envy they had delivered Christ. So, the sons of Jacob united to get rid of Joseph. The sons of uh, children of Israel united to get rid of Jesus. The patriarchs resented Joseph because of his goodness, which is the same thing they did for Christ, who the Bible says in Acts 10.38 did what? Went about doing good. They were resented for it. I have to think, this part of the message, I just wonder if the, the, the sharper of the Sanhedrin didn't figure out where Stephen is going by this point. Uh, Joseph was rejected of his brethren, sold for the price of a slave, handed over to the Gentiles, falsely accused, made to suffer for sins that were not his own. He was put in a place of death by the Gentiles. That's jail by Potiphar. The place of death could not hold him. Amen. Uh, he came forth in triumph to be exalted uh, to the right hand of the majesty, which is Pharaoh at that time. He was given a name that was above every name, Zaphnath Paeania, which basically meant the savior of the world. In Genesis 41, verse 43, the Bible says that Pharaoh instructed the people that every knee needed to bow to Joseph when he came around. Boy, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> Stephen showing that to these people. God was, not able, God was able to take their rejection of Joseph and make it an instrument for worldwide salvation. Just what he did at Calvary. Amen? We see that picture there. The cross at the same time signifies the greatest tragedy in man's dealing with God, and it represents the greatest triumph in God's dealing with man, what we see on the cross. 
God took our sins and nailed them on that tree, Colossians 2.14. And we can say along with Joseph, men meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I think probably the Sanhedrin got the point. So as we continue through, we're not going to, again, we could spend weeks on this message, uh, uh, this sermon that he preached, but going through the highlights, he talked about how Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Uh, Jacob died, and then Joseph passed off the scene. Another pharaoh rises uh, who knew not Joseph. And then we see the horror show in verse 19 where they cast out their young children uh, to the end that they might not live. Pharaoh, this was when Pharaoh thought he had to do something to quell the Jewish population. So every male Hebrew child that was born, he would send his Gestapo in to tear, tear them away from the family and throw them in the river. Can you imagine the heartache in the Hebrew homes when that was happening? Well, then God sends another Savior, Moses. Remember, Stephen is showcasing what Israel did for the deliverers that God sent them. In verse 20, in which time Moses was born and exceeding fair, nourished up in his father's house three months. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that by faith, Moses' parents determined that he would not die. So they put him in an ark. Stephen mentioned here something that's not mentioned anywhere else, that Moses was exceeding fair. Now, why is that? I, I just have to think, practically speaking, Pharaoh's daughter probably wouldn't be interested in an ugly baby. So when she opened that little ark, the baby was beautiful. And uh, it captured her heart. Stephen says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was being groomed for the throne. There's a lot of history on this that, that uh, I've read, and a lot of interesting things won't go into tonight, but I believe personally that Moses was being groomed for the throne. Like Jesus, he stepped off that throne to, to meet Israel's need. He was also mighty in words and deeds, Stephen says. He was the one called for the great ministry of becoming the Savior to his people. In verse number 23 through 25, uh, it talks about his kinsmen being blind to the purpose that was of God working in the life of Moses. Stephen said they understood not. Paul says later they were blind. Came a time that Moses finally identified himself with his oppressed people. The Bible says here, it came into his heart to visit his brother. I, I like this. It wasn't a thought that came in his head, but it was a yearning that came into his heart. He wanted to identify his brethren. Re, a redemption is the thought of God's heart toward us. Moses wanted to be identified with his people to strike a blow for them against the oppressor. So it is with Jesus who identified himself with mankind. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant that, uh, and made, was made in the likeness of men. Hallelujah, what a Savior we have. Look at verse 26. Just moving right along here, chapter 7. The next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have them set and one, to, uh, one at one again saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do you wrong one to another? Moses got involved. The clashes among his own people grieved him. He wanted to bring about reconciliation. But they saw him as meddlesome. When Jesus came, he found the children of Israel in a similar state. Uh, they were torn by opposing factions, Pharisees, Sadducees, 
zealots, Herodians, all kinds of groups. Jesus came preaching peace. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. But his message, as we know, fell on deaf ears. The same thing happened to Moses. Verse number 29, then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. The salvation for Israel was postponed. The Israelites had rejected Moses. God left them to their burdens for another 40 years. Then we see the burning bush episode, verses 30 through 31. There was a bush on fire, and it was not consumed. God was in that bush, amen? Israel, uh, in the, uh, they, they, it was a picture of Israel in the fire in Egypt, but they could not perish because God was in their midst. Moses was to go back and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 35 emphasizes their blindness. Uh, they rejected their Savior, or they had rejected their Savior sent to them by God. But guess what? God had no other Savior. Amen? This is true for Christ as well. All they had gained in their rejection of Moses was further bondage for a while. In the end, the very Savior they had rejected had to be sent back for them uh, to get them and be their ruler and deliverer. We can see the two comings of Christ with Israel's rejection sandwiched in between, but that's not the point of P, uh, Stephen's message here. He is showing how Israel had rejected the saviors that God had sent. He's looked at Joseph. He's looked at Moses. Now he comes to Jesus. Look at verse number 37. We'll see how Israel had treated their saviors, we saw. Now how do they treat their scriptures? This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. Stephen was leading them to the parallel between Moses and Jesus. Moses had prophesied that there would be such a parallel. Verse 37 is actually Deuteronomy 18.15. Uh, quote, quote, uh, he was quoting Deuteronomy 18.15. In their own law, Moses and the Messiah were brought together as a type one of the other. And Moses had said, him shall ye hear. Well, they had heard him, but they turned a deaf ear to him. And when they had, by the way, they hadn't heard the last of him, amen, uh, even yet. That day is coming when they will. Verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Now, in the wilderness, Israel was the church, uh, the ecclesia. They were the called out ones. This is not to be confused. I've heard preachers preach that the church goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Oh, the church was began when Jesus said he began it. Uh, in Matthew, but uh, this is simply a called out. They were the called out assembly. Uh, Jesus started the church as we know it. Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock will I build my church. By the way, the church started in Matthew 16, 18, not on the day of Pentecost. We've talked about that before and maybe will again. Uh, that's important for us to recognize that. But supernaturally, it was brought by Christ. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and it will be supernaturally removed at the rapture. We see another type, verse 39 through 40. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them. And their hearts turned back again to Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. They rejected Moses, wanting to go back to a dead religion, disparaging the one who brought salvation to them. That's exactly what the leaders of Israel 
were doing in the day of Stephen. Jesus brought salvation. Rather than choosing or accepting the salvation Jesus brought, they were clinging to an old Levitical system. Oh, how sad it is when we choose religion and, and uh, uh, traditions above what Jesus has to offer. It's a great message that Stephen is delivering to them. He's pulling no punches with it. He's pulling back the wool that's over their eyes. He's presenting the truth. And next week, you'll have to come back to see their response. Their response was not very mature. <laughs> if you've, I'm sure you've read the story. But we'll talk about that next week and get into the response that they had. For the purpose of our message tonight, the lesson is clear because we find ourselves in the same situation in our day. We have the choice of clinging to our preconceptions, clinging to our way, or we can allow the Word of God to dictate our choices. Now, we might not cling to a dead religion, but we sure can cling to our own way. We sure can cling to our own ideas, preconceptions. We'd better be careful that we don't reject the Word at any point of our Christian life. That we let that lead. When God speaks, we listen. When God leads, we follow. Amen? Not be guilty of what the Sanhedrin were guilty of here. But next week, we'll get, uh, we'll get into the response and what happened. Obviously, we know that this is uh, the end of Stephen. Uh, in his earthly life, but we're going to see a, a few things about that and hopefully it'll be a, a help and a challenge to us. Amen? Let's